The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. On April 24th, we can make the choice of a new French and European era. On April 24, we can make the choice of hope. On April 24, we can make the choice of France and Europe together. Hello and welcome to Squawk Box. We are live in Paris with reaction to the first round of the French presidential election. Here are your headlines. Emmanuel Macron and Marine Le Pen advanced to the runoff with both the incumbent and far-right challenger improving on their share of the vote from five years ago. To the millions of voters who trusted me, I want to express my most sincere gratefulness. I take full measure of this responsibility with humility. I see hope. The second round shapes up to be a cliffhanger with some polls putting Emmanuel Macron's lean within the margin of error for the second round. But uh, Rassemblement National MP Nicolas Bézonnet tells CNBC that winning voters from unsuccessful parties will be easy. It's difficult when you believe in the left-right divide, but that's not our view. We think the real divide is between patriots and globalists. Today, globalism, Europeanism, is embodied by Emmanuel Macron. We're the Patriots. In other news this morning, Chinese consumer prices rise at their fastest pace in three months amid surging energy costs and supply chain disruptions, while factory gate inflation also tops forecasts. And Ukraine's president warns Russian forces are preparing for a massive new assault on the east of the country, while leaders from the UK and Europe visit Kyiv to pledge more military support. So, a very warm welcome to the program this morning, and good to have you with us, Juliana. Great to be here. You're kind of here because Karen is in Paris with Charlotte this morning, and the French election leads our coverage. So, let's get into some of the headlines on the election results so far. The French president, Emmanuel Macron, and far-right candidate Marine Le Pen will now face each other in what looks set to be a tightly run second-round vote. Both Macron and Le Pen qualified for the runoff after the first round of voting, with the president gaining around 29% of the vote so far, putting him just a few points ahead of Le Pen. Voter turnout was lower than expected, however, around 65%, according to the French Interior Ministry. Well, speaking on Sunday, as the exit polls came in, President Macron urged voters to help, quote, block the extreme right and back him in the crucial runoff later this month. Spare no effort, because nothing is done. Let's be humble, determined. Let's convince each and everyone. On April 24th, we can make the choice of a new French and European era. On April 24, we can make the choice of hope. On April 24, we can make the choice of France and Europe together.
Well, meanwhile, far-right candidate Marine Le Pen said she was grateful for the voters' trust, promising to restore the country's independence. I will ensure national independence to make France a country of peace. I will bring back France's sovereignty in all areas, which means the freedom for the French people to decide for themselves and defend their interests. I will control immigration and re-establish security for all. Now attention is turning firmly to the second round of voting. And early polls suggest that Emmanuel Macron could beat Marine Le Pen in the runoff on April 24th, but only with a tight advantage. According to a poll from Elab, Macron would win the second round by 52% to Le Pen's 48%. Meanwhile, the latest Ipsos survey projects the margin will be larger, with Macron gaining 54% of the vote later this month against Le Pen's 46%. Other major candidates in the French election admitted defeat, with nearly all of them, except the far-right candidate Eric Zemmour, urging voters to block extremism in the second round. The leftist candidate Jean-Luc Mélenchon, who came in third, passionately called on voters not to back Marine Le Pen in the runoff. We know for whom we will never vote. And for the rest, as I told you five years ago, do you remember that there was some damage after our declaration? What are they taking the French people for? They are capable of knowing what to do. They are capable of deciding what is good for the country. We will never lose our trust in democracy. So you must not give a vote to Mrs. Le Pen. We must not give one vote to Mrs. Le Pen. Well, those are the numbers. Karen and Charlotte are live on the ground in Paris for us this morning. Let's cross out to Karen first. She is joining us from the headquarters of La République en Manche. That's uh, Emmanuel Macron's party, of course, and then we'll get to Charlotte. But Karen, let's start off with you. We've had a look at the numbers here, and I guess the numbers have fallen in place pretty much as anticipated, but this was still a close-run thing for Emmanuel Macron. How does he try to galvanise and collect those votes now for the second round? Jeff, I can tell you there's been plenty of tension here on the ground. I was at Emmanuel Macron's election night rally last night. Very similar to 2017, the staging, the location. But what was quite different this time round was the relief when the first exit polls were read out. Because as we were counting down to election day, the race was just getting tighter and tighter between Macron and Le Pen. According to some of the polling, even one small poll suggested there'd be about a one point different between the two. In the end, seeing roughly about five points materialise as a gap between uh, Le Pen and Macron meant there was some relief across the crowd. Many supporters cheering in all the right uh, places, chanting uh, President Macron. But it was very different to 2017 in the sense back then he was a movement. He was a vote for change, a president that had barely formed a party, a big question marks as to who he would even recruit to run in key ministries. But this time he is the incumbent. And that's the problem here in France. If you think over the past 20 years, no president has been re-elected to the Elysee Palace. And we have seen plenty of tension over the course of the past five years. 
First up with his reform program to try and change the pension system, the uh, very rigid workplace rules. And we saw the Gilets Jaunes come out in force early on. This around a fuel tax to try and pay for an energy transition. Much of this, of course, was silenced around the pandemic. Yet another challenge for Emmanuel Macron. But more recently, it's been the war in Ukraine as President Macron has sought to cast an image of a wartime president that went in his favour briefly, but just in the final stages of this campaign to the first round. The focus has very much shifted to the cost of living. And this has been an avenue for the far right Marine Le Pen to exploit, promising large tax cuts. Very different uh, this time around as we talk about the challenge. Back in 2017, we saw Le Pen try and push for Frexit, for France to leave the EU. Emmanuel Macron effectively staring down an anti-globalisation force. This time round, if he does not win the Elysee, there still could be disruption to unity in Europe, which we think is incredibly important as we position Europe for the future, but also tackle the war in Ukraine. Important consequences too for NATO, given there's been a much more friendly approach from Marine Le Pen to Vladimir Putin, although she has pushed back against the invasion, condemning the invasion, but still uncertainty about sanctions in future and France's role in NATO. So this time around, incredibly important. And Emmanuel Macron, I was one of the first uh, that he greeted when he walked into uh, the staging area yesterday. He looked visibly shaken. Uh, this is a man who has a, a, such a curated image. Every step he takes is uh, very much preordained. He slows his walking pace to look presidential, but he looked like he was shaking last night. Uh, let's take a listen to what he had to say. He made a nod to the fact that nothing is certain at this point. I want to extend my hand to all those who want to work for France. I'm ready to invent something new to bring together the various convictions and sensitivities in order to build with them a common action in the service of our nation for the years to come. It is our duty. Emmanuel Macron did raise the cost of living crisis, this key challenge, and fairly vague comments, I thought, as to how to tackle this in the final round. He was talking about focusing on the political program. But the question is whether that will be enough. You may recall this time five years ago, there was an earthquake in politics as Emmanuel Macron took the share of the vote from the centre-left and the centre-right. But it was the left that was influential in staring down the challenge of the far right. The question is whether the anger runs that deep this time round and whether voters from the left turn out to support him. We heard from the far-left challenger, Melanchon, who did much better in this round. He did not outright call for support for Macron, although he did say do not vote for Le Pen. The question is whether those votes abstain or whether they turn out. Other key politicians who considered did direct their votes towards Macron, but not the, the far-right Zamor. So the, again, the question is whether we see lower voter turnout, which impacts the vote. It means a nail-biting run-up for the next fortnight for the main contenders. Jeff, let me toss it back to you. Yeah, terrific, Karen. Thank you very much indeed for that. And I just want to clarify, I think we may have said 29%. I think it's 28% or 27.6% in the polling. So let's just make that very clear to our audience. Um, Charlotte, let's, let's come out to you here because uh, let, let's dig a little deeper. Um, the turnout was low-ish or lower than perhaps expected. Can I ask you, what does that actually mean, do you think, in terms of the way that the French public have risen to the challenge of re-electing their president? And it won't be lost on anyone that if you toted up the numbers for the parties on the far left and the far right, that would have 
significantly exceeded President Macron's apparent poll here. Does that tell us that French people are really actually quite unhappy with the current status quo in France? And does that have some bearing on this turnout figure? You're exactly right, Jeff, and that would be a key question for Emmanuel Macron if he is get to be re-elected. Because looking at the polls, if he is re-elected, it will be a tight result and potentially with a high abstention. And of course, that's why he, he said in his speech uh, yesterday that he was uh, stretching his hand out to you know all the voters and everybody, and that will, he will try to do, uh, unify everybody uh, for this election from different uh, opinion, different sensitivities. That he understands that his responsibility in order to block the far right. So they're very aware of this. So there's a question of, of um, credibility to a certain extent of what it would mean for the president to be elected with such a small margin with a high abstention. But again, what's very interesting with the far left, as you said, because Jean-Luc Mélenchon at 21.95%, he is the king maker in this election. Let's not be mistaken here because Emmanuel Macron 27%, Marine Le Pen 23%, and he's at 22%. The next candidate in fourth position, Éric Zemmour, is at 7%. There's a huge gap there. So the Jean-Luc Mélenchon bloc of vote will be crucial in the next two weeks. And again, there's been no doubt the campaign really starts now. There was a lot of criticism on Emmanuel Macron. He came late into the campaign because of the war in Ukraine. He said he was busy with the geopolitical uh, circumstances and it's understandable, but he started late. And some people say he didn't do enough campaigning. A lot of his team was hitting the ground for him. He did a couple of events here and there, but now we know that he needs to hit the ground. He needs to go shake hands, have coffees with uh, all people that the cafe, that's how you campaign in France, and he needs to do it if he wants to win this election. So we already know he's heading to the north of France today, he will head to the east of France uh, tomorrow, so it seems that his camp is getting the message out that he really needs to campaign actively in the next two weeks, because again, the bulk of votes for Jean-Luc Mélenchon is incredibly important. What we know from these voters is that a lot of them are in urban areas. In Paris, for example, he's the candidate that came top, and in some of the suburbs as well, the poorer suburbs, he also came top in some of these areas. So that's the kind of vote, younger voters, 18 to 34, also put Mélenchon in the lead. So that's the kind of vote that Emmanuel Macron and Marine Le Pen need to go after if they want to win this big chunk. From the polls that we've seen from the Jean-Luc Mélenchon vote, they'll split in three-thirds, almost exactly. A third said they will abstain. A third said they will vote for, for Marine Le Pen. A third said they will vote for Macron. Now, yesterday, Jean-Luc Mélenchon very clearly said in his rally that not a single vote should go to Marine Le Pen. So he went a little bit further than 2017, his message was ha that he hammered yesterday was a little bit clearer, but he felt short to call precisely to vote for Emmanuel Macron. So there's still a bit some political dislike there, but his message was very clear that not to vote for Marine Le Pen. So we'll see whether his message carries. We'll see whether Emmanuel Macron now hitting the campaign trail more uh, will actually have an effect. But on this, of course, Marine Le Pen says she wants uh, to also reach out to the voters, said they can unite the country. And when we went to the to the party last night, we caught up with one of the MPs of the Rassemblement National, uh, Nicolas Maisonnet. We asked him how they entered this second half of the campaign. Take a listen. We're feeling a lot of joy tonight after these results, even though we anticipated this situation. The last few weeks of the campaign were going very well. We felt that Marine was moving forward serenely, and we could see that reflected on the ground. But we're obviously satisfied, so tonight we're going to celebrate. And starting tomorrow, we'll get back to work diligently, because we still have a second round. We've overcome the first hurdle, I think we can overcome another. How are you broaching this? 
this second round. The campaign really starts now, so how are you going to broach it? We're going to go after voters who didn't vote for Emmanuel Macron. Those who made the choice not to vote for Emmanuel Macron. Those on the left, as well as the right. Patriots who don't want to see France drown in some sort of globalised magma. Who believe in the sovereignty of France, in its power, its freedom. We're going to reach out to them. We're going to tell them. If you're a left-wing voter, can you vote for the candidate that's guaranteeing social chaos with a retirement reform that's coming? If you're a right-wing voter, are you going to vote for someone who's going to continue to allow hundreds of thousands of people to enter the country every year and who does nothing to fight for security, who's causing more and more harm to this country? That's what we're going to do for the next 15 days. We're going to speak to the French and those who love their country. There's 20% for Mélenchon, 7% for Zemmour and 5% for Pécresse. It's difficult to get both Zemmour and Mélenchon's votes, so which will you go after? It's not difficult. It's difficult when you believe in the left-right divide, but that's not our view. We think the real divide is between patriots and globalists. Today, globalism, Europeanism, is embodied by Emmanuel Macron. We're the patriots. And within Mélenchon's camp, as well as Zemmour's, there are genuine patriots. Some are strongly attached to issues of security and identity. Others are more attached to social issues. Both are the essence of Marine Le Pen's campaign. She ran on two legs, one focused on social issues and giving the French their money back, and the other on identity, giving the French their country back. That was Nicolas Musenet, MP for the Rassemblement National, speaking yesterday at the uh, Marine Le Pen's electoral night. And look, what's also really interesting does is the absolute collapse of the traditional historic uh, governing parties in France. Uh, Pécresse at 4.8 percent and um, Hidalgo at 1.7 percent. So the Socialists and the Les Républicains under the 5 percent threshold means that their campaign finances will not be reimbursed uh, uh, by the state, because this is a law in France under 5 percent. You do not get some of these funds back. So big blow for Valérie. And we've seen Les Républicains already torn, uh, some of them saying they will not vote for Macron. She said she will vote for Macron. We already see the impact of this campaign that keeps resonating and the Les Républicains uh, already seeing some very tense tension within the party, Jeff. Charlotte, terrific. Thank you very much indeed for that. Let's just take a moment then um, as we contemplate the second round of elections here to think about the market consequences. Mm. And I guess there are three ways um, that it could be expressed. One is the euro. How is that reacting to the French election result in the first round? The the spread to uh, Bunds as far as the French paper is concerned, and also how we see the CAC perform here. And whilst there's been a lot of focus, it seems to me, Juliana, on the risk of Le Pen winning, and then ultimately what would that mean for uh, risk on assets here, this is pretty close. I wonder now if we do see some movement, maybe some pressure on the euro here, maybe some pressure on the spread as the market reacts to what looks like a very slender win for Macron. 
As far as the euro goes, and there's so many different factors at play, you've got the French election, but then also an ECB, which many are expecting to have to turn more hawkish in the face of these inflation pressures building. Um, And we've obviously seen a very strong dollar, but that story has begun to change. You've got Deutsche Bank coming out recently saying it's time to buy the euro USD again. So I think in terms of playing the euro, um, you've got to be careful because there are so many other uh, other drivers. In terms of French um, equity markets and bond markets, it feels as though the momentum um, in in favor of Le Pen had been building in such a way in the run up to the election that investors were really starting to price in that possibility as real only recently. And now, as you said, the polls are so close, you are seeing uh, a lot of investors price in that possibility that Le Pen actually does um, find success here. And one line I would just um, call to viewers' attention that I read this morning out of a Berenberg piece, that if Le Pen were to be victorious, then France and the EU would face a major upset almost comparable to the surprise win of Donald Trump in 2016. Just speaking to how much of a surprise that would be relative to where we were a few months ago. All right, we've got an uh, analysis coming up on the markets a little later on in the programme from Invesco. So we'll tell you more about the market view as we uh, prepare for the open here in Europe this morning. Also, um, don't forget about China. We've had an inflation print in China this morning. Uh, It was uh, a higher number than forecast as uh, supply chain problems and zero COVID policies put pressure on the world's second largest economy. We'll have details on that when we come back. Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on CNBC.com. Welcome back to the program. Let's get a check on U.S. markets. It was a losing week overall for Wall Street. Friday session was mixed with the Dow Jones ending slightly higher. The S&P 500 dropping about a third of a percent on Friday. And the tech-heavy Nasdaq dropping about 1.3%. Similar picture to what we saw for the week overall. It was the tech sector which saw the brunt of the selling last week. The Nasdaq fell nearly 4% for the week overall, while the S&P 500 dropped about 1.3% and the Dow about 0.3%. Healthcare, meanwhile, was the bright spot last week, gaining more than 3% for the week overall. And I think that's indicative of the narrative that really took hold last week. And that was these concerns around a potential recession, that R word coming firmly into focus last week and weighing on trade. Um, As for treasuries, this is the picture for fixed income markets. Uh, Clearly, the fight against inflation is a key theme, a key point of debate. Right now, we've got the U.S. 10-year treasury trading with a yield of 2.77%. So we have marched higher. The two-year toward the front end of the curve is trading around 2.58%. As for energy markets, let's take a look at how WTI and Brent stand. We've got uh, a little bit of a retreat this morning. WTI down about 2.3%. Similar pullback for Brent. We're trading back under $100 a barrel for WTI. And Brent is trading right around that $100 a barrel mark. Gold, meanwhile, we uh, if we can get you a picture of gold, um, we'll, we'll perhaps get a check on it a little bit later in the show. Um, 
Uh, we can take a look at Asian markets now, though. We've got uh, in the overnight session some more selling in Hong Kong in particular. The Hang Seng down nearly 3%. The Shanghai Composite over in the mainland down about 1.9%. We've got Chinese inflation figures in focus, which we're going to get into the detail in, in just a moment, but also the COVID situation in Shanghai uh, remaining a, a key uh, focal point for investors. The Nikkei 225 down about 0.9%. Within Hong Kong, we are seeing particularly heavy selling in the tech sector. Once again, investors uh, ditching these tech stocks. We've got the Hang Seng tech index down nearly 5% right now. Jeff. I can tell you gold is a little firmer. 1946. Um, We'll give you uh, more on how the defensives are playing, obviously, a little bit later on. But let's refocus on this data from China. Shanghai has reported a new record of more than 26,000 COVID cases as the Chinese financial center enters its third week in lockdown. Government officials have vowed to implement an exit plan, discharging patients and promising to lift restrictions in areas with no new cases. As citizens in some parts of the 25 million strong city have struggled with access to food and basic supplies. But other cities such as Guangzhou, which have introduced new curbs, commencing citywide testing as China continues to pursue uh, a zero COVID policy amid the biggest outbreak since the beginning of the pandemic. Uh, Demand for cars in China also slowing. Latest data from the Passenger Car Association shows retail sales dropping 4.5% on the year. Consumer prices rising at their fastest pace in three months, driven by tight coronavirus policies, supply chain disruptions and the impact of the Russia Ukraine war. Let's get out to Sam, who's got more on the latest data here. And it seems to be the factory prices, Sam, that really caught people by surprise. Good morning to you, Jeff. Yeah, absolutely. And March was always going to tell a lot better story in terms of the impact of those lockdowns that you were just talking about, those supply chain disruptions as a result of those COVID curbs and also the geopolitical uncertainties with these rising commodity prices off the back of the Ukraine crisis. And so what we've seen now is those cost pressures certainly mounting and more than what the market was looking for. I will start with those producer prices because you highlighted that. It was interesting because on an annual basis, we actually saw this easing actually the most since April last year, largely down to the base effects. But if you look sequentially month on month, which is important to look at because it does strip out a lot of that distortion, we actually saw that rising the most in around five months as those higher raw material costs that we've seen globally really started to filter through to the Chinese factory gate. So that's what happened in terms of the producer prices. And it is likely to continue in the months to come as we do see those prices certainly elevated. But some of that upstream price pressure also did start to filter through uh, and the consumers started to feel that. We saw those sticker prices, while they did remain relatively subdued, actually rising uh, the most in around three months. That was largely down to those uh, higher energy costs. Of course, in March, we did see the Chinese state planner coming out and hiking those retail fuel prices. So really, that's what happened there in terms of the energy side of things, the non-food side. But when it came to food, we actually saw that deflation narrowing really has been a story 
of falling food prices in China for really what has been uh, the most of 18 months. But we have seen those food prices certainly rebounding. And so that is what we saw in terms of the consumer prices. Uh, Really, the Chinese government has been trying to rein in a lot of these costs to prevent any pass-through to the Chinese consumer. Uh, We do still see a big gap between the PPI and the CPI. And a lot of economists have certainly suggested that that really is down to the pricing power of some of these companies remaining quite weak and really taking a hit to margins as those downstream players do seem to be picking up the tab uh, for the meantime. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Cho. Weekdays on CNBC.